Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 98 of Yoga Land. We are inching ever closer to episode 100. And if you've been listening, you know that Jason has earmarked that episode for himself. So hopefully he's got something exciting up his sleeve. Today, we have an exciting episode with Dr. Robin Capo Bianco. You may remember Robin. She's been on the show before episode 88. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. Robin has been teaching yoga for nearly 15 years. She is a certified yoga therapist and a certified corrective exercise specialist, and she's based in Boulder, Colorado. She just recently became a doctor. She got her PhD from the Neurophysiology of Movement Laboratory at the University of Colorado, Boulder. So we went back uh, on today's episode at the top of the interview I have her talk about the difference between anatomy and biomechanics because I sort of you know we talk a lot about biomechanics in the previous episode and I wanted to go back and really really define and refine those things for people we spend a bunch of time talking about that and if you listen to the last episode you know that Robin will go into her neurophysiology lab with a partner. She'll hook herself up to the assessment machines and assessment machines. I'm sure that's not what they're called. Anyway, she will hook herself up and then look at, she's looking at 63 yoga poses from a biomechanical perspective. And so she talked about some data that she's already looked at from that experiment. She still needs to assess a lot of the data, but we looked at, uh, she talks about the glutes in bridge pose. She offered some really interesting data on Hanumanasana on splits that I hadn't heard before. But the biggest takeaway from this interview for me, I went back and listened to it and just really tried to absorb it. And, you know, if Robin and I didn't really make it clear in this conversation that we had, I feel like I, I want to make it clear here, which is that there's a big trend in the yoga and meditation world, I think more so in the meditation world right now, to use science to assess these ancient practices. And Robin is one of those people. But what's fascinating to me about her is that she can see from studying more and more and more that perhaps absolutes are not going to ever be something that we can pinpoint in yoga and in these practices. And so they are both art and science. She is doing a lot of the science to try, I think, in ways to try to prevent people from speaking in absolutes about alignment and absolutes about potential injury in absolutes about benefits. And then she's also still an artist because she still has a living practice. And you can hear that when she talks about it. And the fact that her hope is that we just really continue to encourage people to listen to their breath and move their body. So that's that's what I took away. I'd love to hear what you took away. You can always email me at support at Jason Yoga. You can follow me on Instagram at Andrea Ferretti and send me messages. Or you can do a post about this episode and use the hashtag Yogaland Stories and I'll find it. Okay, one quick thing before I move on to the interview, which is I just want to give a little plug for Jason's foundational 200-hour training. He's doing it with Laura Burkhart in San Francisco, California this September. 
It is five weekends between September 14th and November 19th. 2018. And, you know, Jason hasn't done a 200 hour training in like maybe 10 years. It was before Sophia was born. And he has just finding that he wants to get in with students at the ground level again and really give people a strong foundation and the ability to practice discernment so that, you know, as you deepen your learning about yoga and you, as you start out as a teacher, you have a really, really strong foundation to work from. Okay, so if you want to find out more about that, you can go to bit.ly slash Jason200. So it's bit.ly slash slash Jason and the number 200. Okay, enjoy the interview. So hi there, Robin. Hi, Andrea. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I know that you just recently became Dr. Robin Capobianco, and I just wanted to to say congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's still surreal. Like when your committee calls you in after they've grilled you for an hour and they say, congratulations, Dr. Capobianco, or yeah. well, a lot of it was congrats. Congratulations, Dr. C. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. That is so exciting. That's so exciting. Well, you know, our last podcast that we did together, people just loved it so much and were really engaged and they had a ton of questions. And you and I have gone back and forth because there's so many different directions we could go with this conversation. I think both of us just want to be of service to people. And we kind of landed here. We landed on, we would start the conversation by talking about having you define these terms that we use all the time and the difference between anatomy, the study of anatomy and biomechanics. I think that's, it's a great way to start because people do use these words interchangeably and they use the words alignment and biomechanics interchangeably. And, you know, alignment contributes to biomechanics, but it's not the same thing. So let's just start by defining anatomy. So Anatomy is concerned with the bodily structure of living organisms, and especially as it's revealed by dissection and the separation of parts. So looking at things from a a parts and pieces perspective, not necessarily a systems perspective. So Mm -hmm. when we look at things from a systems perspective, that's in relation to the body, then that's more physiology. Okay. So Now let's move on to biomechanics. So let's just agree that anatomy is the pieces and parts of of the body. So now biomechanics is the study of the mechanical laws relating to biological systems. So that's applying physics to biological systems or the human body. Now my advisor coined the term neuromechanics. And neuromechanics combines concepts from biomechanics and neurophysiology, so that's the physiology of the nervous system, to study human movement. So it examines how the skeletal, muscular, and nervous system all interact to produce the motion required to complete a motor task. So, you know, I want to go and pick up this kettlebell and swing it. What's going to happen? How does the skeletal system, muscular system, nervous system all interact in Mm. order to produce that motor task? My advisor in his book, The Neuromechanics of Human Movement, says that the, ner- the nervous system controls the actions of muscles, okay? So we get that. The command signal to our muscles comes from the nervous system. 
And it does that in order to exert forces to complete this task. But the forces that we produce are constrained by the laws of physics or biomechanics. So that's kind of, you know, how these three different areas kind of look at human movement. I want to just define two different things here. So one is kinematics and one is kinetics as they relate to biomechanics. You know, biomechanics, the mechanical laws. So kinematics describes motion without regard to the cause of the motion or the forces. So this is velocity, acceleration, joint angles, and those are all affected by your alignment. Okay. But they're not the same thing. So of course, you know, aligning this bone here or this hand here doesn't tell you anything about velocity, acceleration, joint angles. And then kinetics is the study of motion that includes the consideration of force. So that's joint torques, joint moment. So forces, so torque is just a, just force about uh, an angle or rotation, and then ground reaction forces. So just by those definitions, you can clearly see that anatomy and biomechanics and neuromechanics are completely different. And alignment, it's going to determine some of these things, but it is clearly not the same thing. Hmm. Okay. Um, I was I was taking notes in the beginning as you were as you were talking because it can kind of help me in an interview to go back. And then I was like, whoa, it's so much. I can't I have to stop even taking the notes. I think the question that comes up for me is just what do you see in the way that yoga is taught now? You know, we mostly study alignment and anatomy. Have you been able to determine yet? And this might just be in the very beginning stages for you because, but have you been able to, to determine what aspects of biomechanics you hope we could bring into our base of knowledge as we do yoga? Yeah. I mean, I think everything. It's interesting because I see a lot of advertisements for yoga teacher trainings that say um, that, you, you know, we're going to study biomechanics. And I've been in a teacher training that said it included that. And I'm like, nowhere did it actually include biomechanics. So mm -hmm. there's a real push, I think, in marketing to sound scientific. Mm -hmm. Like I just saw a teacher advertise, you know, some new program this teacher created on like science and creativity of yoga. And I'm like, last I checked, you weren't a scientist <laughs> and I don't understand what you mean by that. But we like to throw these words out because they make us sound more knowledgeable. So they, they add this kind of illusion of credibility to a program, right? So when you go to a yoga teacher training and you see, you know, anatomy and biomechanics, and these are all the things that I'm going to learn. You're like, wow, okay, I'm going to learn science. And then you get in and you're like, okay, put your hand here and down dog. Cause I think this is what it's going to do. It's not delivering on the promise of what you build, right? When you bill that you're teaching biomechanics, you should be teaching biomechanics, mm -hmm, biomechanics, mm -hmm. which includes kinematics and kinetics. You should be teaching someone what velocity is, what acceleration is, what a joint angle is, how to look at that forces. And one of the things that I am trying to do with my yoga atlas or yoga study that I've been doing that I've been working on is help people understand how your alignment affects your biomechanics. So when we went into the lab yesterday, we looked at muscle activation. Then we also looked at, again, joint angles, joint torques. When we say have the feet wider in the standing pose. And so we looked at 
warrior one, and we did it with a heel to heel alignment. And then we did it with a, with a wider stance. We want to see what are the changes? How does the alignment change the forces exerted by the body and the forces exerted by the ground back up onto the body Mm -hmm. with these different alignment patterns? So that's Mm -hmm. what I really want to include because so much of what we say, what we teach is speculation. And there are some really good people out there who are speculating on things. Uh, so, but we just don't know until we actually look at it. Right. I would love to ask more about the application of biomechanics. Cause when you started to describe that, what you just described about like, okay, well, what's happening when we in a standing pose, have the feet this wide. And then what's happening when we have the feet that wide, the examples help me understand what actual biomechanics is a little bit more. Yeah. So I did see on Instagram that you were in the lab yesterday, I think with a a friend or a partner. Yep. And you were looking at different poses. So can you give me an example of a pose you looked at yesterday and what you found out from, from that little experiment? Yeah. So we have so much work to do. We looked at 63 different postures. So we looked at different alignment postures and we did it bilaterally for asymmetrical poses. And so there's still a lot of work to do to go and process all of the data and to analyze everything that's going on and make some comparisons. But one of the things that people are really interested in, me included, is whether or not you should engage your glutes and back bends. Mm. And so for this, we don't necessarily have, we don't, we haven't processed the data to look at different joint angles, but we did, and we haven't even looked at the, the clear differences or, you know, the, the math comparing muscle activity, but just visually looking at the signals as they appear while we're doing it. So, you know, when you do bridge pose, I normally teach, you know, push down through your heels, drag your heels back, squeeze your butt. But of course you want that balanced action so that your knees aren't splaying out. And so we looked at the activation for the latissimus dorsi, so the big fan-shaped muscle on the back. We looked at the erector spinae, which are the rope-shaped muscles along the spine, the glutes and the hamstrings. Now, I had always kind of thought that, well, if you're not engaging your glutes, like normally, like when you come into this posture, you can feel your butt turn on because that's what your butt does. Like your glutes extend the hips. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, and then the hamstrings draw the heel closer towards the butt. So when you come up into bridge pose, all of that's naturally activating. And so you can either choose to activate it more, right. By doing these certain cues or you can activate it less by saying, you know, relax into it. And so it's this whole, like, you know, do we relax the glutes? What's happening? So of course we had a lot of activity through the glutes primarily also through the spine and then through the hamstrings. And then when we let go of the glutes, I always thought that the hamstrings then would pick up some of the slack. And in fact, I just read a blog post that landed in my inbox from a very smart physician that I, that I trust, which we can guess who that is. Um, (laughs) And and it all makes sense, right? Because this is what we think is happening. Like we would think, well, you still need to have, you know, what are the other hip extensors? The hamstrings are also some hip extension. And so if we're not engaging the glutes, we could be overactivating the hamstrings and then setting up this pattern, this dysfunctional pattern where we have hamstring dominance instead of using glutes. And indeed that there is some literature to support that. 
So I thought that's what would be happening. So I'm here in bridge pose and Jana's back running all the machinery. And we're like, oh, we should do a post for social media. So I'm like, okay, get my phone out. Let's do this. And then I look back at it and she's like, oh yeah, hamstring activity, like got cut down by half. And I was like, wow, it was so surprising to me. I mean, I could feel that my, the muscles in my back were having to support the body weight of my legs because my glutes and my hamstrings were, were not turned off. Like no muscles really ever turned off when it's being active, but it's not, it's not supporting my body weight. Right. And so I could feel my back starting to crunch and we could see visually and quantitatively, not just, you know, qualitative, well, we think this is what's happening quantitatively that the activity like cut down by half and all of it now is being picked up by my spine muscles. I was like, Oh, well, that's why my back was hurting. Uh It's fascinating to me that some of the things that we think are happening when we actually go into the lab, oh my gosh, this is totally not what's happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I definitely don't fault anyone for saying anything anymore, unless, you know, we know better, but it's just so interesting to, to have the luxury, like, and it is a luxury and a privilege for me to be able to go into the lab and do this. And so we're going to do a follow-up where we go just into my lab, the neural control of human movement lab, where we can do just EMG and we can look at, you know, someone had brought up the core muscles and we only looked at obliques and we didn't show that again, this was just preliminary. So there's a lot of information that's going to be coming out from this that, you know, we're really looking forward to, to sharing with the broader yoga community. Yeah. So it seems like, and, and we, we touched on this a little bit in the last conversation we had, it seems like some of these conundrums that so many of us have either in our practice or in our teaching of yoga, like, do I squeeze the glutes or not? And, you know, how do I, how do I stabilize my sacrum in a twist? It seems like what you're finding is by um, going in the lab and looking at it biomechanically. I mean, am I right in saying like, we can understand how it affects our anatomy better, and then we can make decisions on our own personal alignment or even on generalized alignment based on that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not necessarily how it's affecting our anatomy. It's how it's how our alignment is affecting the biomechanics of the system. Mm. Right. Because again, when we're looking at how we place our limbs is going to affect how much forces we're producing at each, at each limb or Mm. at each joint. Right. So one of the reasons why I think we don't see this increased activation of the hamstrings is that they're not at a good mechanical advantage, meaning that the muscle is already getting into the shortened position. And so I wonder if we walk our feet out a little bit so that our knee is not directly stacked over the ankle, if we walk the feet forward just a little bit, if then we could get better activation of the hamstrings because they'll have a better mechanical advantage. So, you know, I think what this does, like, you know, in my mind, it's just, I start to see, you know, you get one little answer and you're like, oh my gosh, now I have 15 more questions, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, how do we explore this more? And, you know, we explore it in our body. And once we can better understand the granularity of what we can see doing this, then we'll bring more people into the lab. But right now it's really just an N of one. It's, this is what's happening in my body with, you know, what I have heard and what people have told me, like I always 
post something and say, hey, what do you guys want to know about? And, uh, and we looked at Half Moon. A lot of people wanted to see what was happening in the body in Half Moon. So that was interesting. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Well, I don't, well, I, I don't know what's happening. We haven't processed the data oh, yet. Okay. But, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's so great. And we have to sit down, Jana and I have to sit down and go, okay, well, what is our actual research question for each one of these postures mm-hmm. that we examined in the lab? And so that's going to help us understand, well, what should we do? Like we did plank in a protracted, so shoulder blades protracted, drawing away from each other, and then shoulder blades retracted. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to look at what's happening with our muscle activation, with our ground reaction forces, our, our joint torques on the upper body, so that we can see what's the difference, you know, in the shoulder girdle and in the spine when we're doing those two variations. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was really interesting to be in there to do side angles. So we did Parshva Konasana and Parivrita Parshva Konasana with, you know, the hand on the floor, the hand on a block, and then the hand hovering. And, you know, I, it's the first time I've actually gone in and done, okay, do this variation, do this variation, do that variation. How do I feel in my body? And, you know, with the knowledge of we're recording data on all of this, where do I feel it more? And I asked Jana, like, as I'm up there and I'm like, okay, is my force equally distributed between both legs? And she's like, no. And I'm like, I can't physically put any more in my back leg. Hmm. Right? So, so trying to understand how all these things affect, again, our biomechanics and namely our, our kinetics, how our, our kinematics, and again, that's our that's the motion uh, and affect our kinetics. And that's the study of motion that includes this consideration of, of forces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, it's a lot of fancy words, but alignment definitely just is not biomechanics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you're a yoga teacher and you say that you're teaching biomechanics, you've got to teach about all of these things. You can't just teach alignment. It's not the same thing. Right, right. <laughs> <Like> my PSA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like there are very, there are very few of us out there who have actually studied biomechanics. So (laughs) might be safer to just keep that word out of your description. Exactly. Just call it alignment. Just call it alignment. Which and there's nothing wrong with alignment. No, no, no. Absolutely. Right. But we want to be, but we want to be fancier because competition is so I mean, competition is so huge. Yeah. So yeah. I am wondering, you know, ever since the podcast that I did with Jill in last fall, where she talked about having a hip replacement. I feel like she sort of opened the floodgates for a lot of people to talk about their hip injuries mm-hmm. after a long-term many years of yoga practice. I'm just wondering if you feel like any of this work in the lab that you're doing can help us. Now, I, it's hard because I understand that there's a difference between looking at something once and then the effect on the body over time. But I'm just wondering if if you plan on looking at any of the static, quote unquote, hip opener uh, and seeing what's going on there to help maybe f- rejigger the way we teach <laughs> hip openers. Isn't that such fancy language I just used? Oh, I know. I love it. You know, I love just it. rethink the way we're teaching hip openers. <laughs> and <laughs> or even just the length of time of holds or that kind of thing. I think it's really a concern that people have right now. People are afraid yeah. a little bit of their body. In but yoga they keep doing, days. they keep doing Hanumanasana. I yes, guess. they do. <laughs> So there's actually, (laughs) you know, (laughs) 
they keep doing those splits. There's a paper out there. Um, in fact, I think I may have said this last time too, that looked at cartilage loading with doing the splits over time. And, you know, splits definitely, I think we talked about this last time, you know, are not good if you're doing them every single day. It's just not, it's just not a good thing to do because you are loading the hip. And I found an article that came that this morning when I was trying to find something completely different that looked at the different orientations. So there's some modeling studies that looked at the different orientation of the femoral head in the acetabulum. So mm-hmm. of the hip socket and you know, we know, and Paul Grilly has some great images where, yeah. you know, you see this, this femoral antiversion and, and where the acetabulum or the hip socket is kind of covering the front part of the hip joint where the head of the femur rotates in the, in the hip joint. And so what I really want to do is I want to do some assessments with my PT, who was on my committee, who was just brilliant, Erica Nelson Wong. There's my shout out to Erica. Mm-hmm. I love her to death. I participated in a study for her on low back pain, and she assessed my hip range of motion. She's like, "Ooh, your right hip has a much smaller range of motion in internal and external rotation than your left." I'm like, "Oh, well, that makes sense." And now every time I do these hip openers or, you know, I do like opposed say warrior two, you know, I was taught heel to heel alignment or heel to arch edge of the back foot parallel with the edge of your mat. Mm-hmm. Well, when I do that, my front knee rolls in cause I don't have the hip range of motion. Mm. And so when I turn my back heel in, then I'm able to keep my front knee stacking over my front ankle. And I've been experimenting that with this in in classes that I teach and looking at people who have like, well, this doesn't feel good. Or their back hip is popping forward. The back hip is popping forward because they don't have the range of motion in that hip to maintain that more extreme angle. At Denver University, one of my colleagues has like this ultra low dose fluoroscopy machine. And I really, really want to go in and look at what's happening under x-ray. So fluoroscopy is just real time x-ray Okay, what's happening at the hip joint. But you know, I mean, it, it brings a lot of issues like IRB, like, yeah, we're going to radiate you. And yeah, sure. You know, it's the same it's like radiation getting yourself as, up for science here. <laughs> I know. Well, and the thing is that when you get an x-ray, like a lot of chest x-rays right now, you get the same amount of radiation as if you were taking a, a flight from LA to New York. Oh, wow people don't realize how much flying like radiates your body. But oh, God, anyway, I didn't know that. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Sorry. My husband flies all oh, the time. Oh. Yeah. oh, well, you know, it's, it's just natural. We're exposed to natural sources of radiation all the time that we just don't think about. But when you we do clinical research, a lot of crap, I've yeah, already talked are. about that in my oh. beauty podcast. Anyway, oh, I loved your beauty podcast. Thank I loved you. it. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> it's like my low level, total neurotic anxiety is all that is in anyway. Oh my goodness. I'm with you. When I got pregnant, like I threw away like all these cosmetics, like I don't use anything with parabens in it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so neurotic about that, um, except for mascara. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I have a good mascara fan. I'll send it to you. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, yeah. because it, it, it really like it all drips down on my face and, oh, um, yeah, right. so I have to use, and I even talked with Beth Walker, who's done my makeup a couple of times for a yoga journal. She's amazing. 
she's like, well, have you tried this and tried that? And she's like, well, let me try this. Like our last photo shoot. So it's coming up in the May issue, this whole jumping back to plank and chaturanga that we talked about. So keep your eyes open for yoga journal May. She tried all these different things. And at the end of the shoot, and I'm like, Beth, look. And she's like, Ooh, yeah, no, you should just stick to. <laughs> I will admit that with, when I wear mascara, it does the natural mascara. I mean, even when I wear regular mascara, it ends up on my under, it does drip down to my under eyes. No, Estee Lauder. And I just get, and I just suggested this to somebody else who wrote me like the nicest thank you. She wrote me the nicest thank you. She's like, you saved my life. Okay. It's, it's, it's an Estee Lauder mascara and I, it's not the more than mascara. It might be. Oh my gosh. Have this to is fun. great. I never to... thought I could get a sponsor by es- like Estee Lauder, Estee but Lauder. who knows? They might listen to this podcast. Maybe they'll listen to this and they'll send me some of this. Cause I love it. I love it. Uh, it's double wear, double wear, zero oh. smudge, lengthening mascara. All I'm right. telling you it will change your life. Okay. And we just want yeah. to look at the ingredients for one little thing. Uh-oh. No, I find that everybody has like one exception to their clean beauty. And I think one exception is fine because it's, you're kind of paying attention to, it's the 90, 90, 10 rule. Right. Right. And what you're putting on your body and your lotions and all of that, like it's, your skin is the largest organ in your body. And I should be talking about neurophysiology. Yeah. Not this, right. I'm yes. sorry. We digress. People, we, digress. we digress. Okay. <laughs> so you were just saying you're considering going into this low level, uh, x-ray machine all for the yoga it's all for the all for the yoga for the yoga kids yeah yeah it's interesting to me that you already know that something like hanumanasana or what we call splits without having even done all of your testing that it is a lot of load on the cartilage in the hips yep because someone else has already looked at it they put these girls in an mri machine Mm. So Jason had a PT who he went to, you know, for mm-hmm. some, um, he has some ongoing hip stuff and it's on the side. Oh. I mean, he, he was an ice hockey player for his whole oh, yeah. childhood, like through yeah. high school, you know, he played really seriously. So I can't remember, but it's on the side where he would get checked a lot, I think. Oh yeah. So he's been to a PT about that and that PT was really adamant about not going as deep in his low lunges as well, Mm, that that could even be too much load bearing for his particular structure. Yeah, I totally believe it. I just pulled up that. So the title of the article for the nerds and I'll, I'll see if I can post a link. It's called assessment of cartilage contact pressure and loading in a hip joint during split posture. Mm. And they looked at dancers performing mm. splits and they brought them into an MRI. So they looked at MRI data subjects in neutral and split positions performed inside the MRI scanner. That wow. I would love to have seen that. That would have been yeah. amazing. And so they looked at, so they found that, let's see their conclusion, the comparison of some of simulation results. They also did a, a simulation, mathematical simulation Results of the split posture and daily activities, as well as the correlation between the results of the analysis, blah, blah, blah. Repetitive extreme movement could lead to early hip osteoarthritis. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So given that, did they study sides, what they would probably have called side splits or Upavishta Konasana? Or was it just the front back splits? Nope, it's just front back splits. Okay. Just front back splits. So they're looking at that that anterior. Yeah. They're looking at this. Oh man. 
I am going to send this to you because it's so cool. Jason will love this too. Yeah. I'm so curious about the, um, about pigeon pose, about just the pigeon pose that we do where we are just stretching, right? And leaning into (laughs) that front hip. I I mean, it feels so good to me, but I often like will tuck. And I also wonder, you know, if this makes any difference, like I'll tuck my back toes and kind of engage a little bit more. So I'm not just like dumping everything into that front hip. Mm-hmm. And that's how I do Hanumanasana too. Like Hanumanasana feels really good to me when I'm really warmed up. If I put, I, I now that I accept my body, I, I always do it with a block under my sitting bone because yeah. just that little bit of lift feels good. And it allows me to, again, tuck my back toes and, um, sort of like what we used to say in Anasara is like hug into the midline, like really yeah. engage the muscles and hug in. So I'm not dumping as much. I wonder if that would really makes a difference or not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a good, I mean, I started doing that too. I have, have you ever tried those three minute eggs? Yes. Jason loves those. Okay. Yeah. I love the three minute egg. So I, I use the three minute egg for all kinds of stuff. Three minute eggs, send me some more eggs. <laughs> um, so I will slide that underneath because I think it's more comfortable than a block. And I do, I find it's a huge difference and I don't use it to, like you were saying, like dump into it, but I stay engaged, but getting that support. And again, me too, realizing like my committee made a, made a joke. Cause I studied stretching and foam rolling in young adults and then in middle-aged adults. So I'm a middle-aged adult. And I said something about, you know, I'm less flexible because now I sit all the time in grad school. And they also, and they said, and you're also getting older. I'm like, touche committee, touche. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I hadn't noticed that lately. <laughs> but you know, I don't know if it makes a big difference. So I used to do a lot of work in SI joint pain and I was having dinner with a hip surgeon And we were talking about yoga and he's like, you know, that thing that you guys do, that pigeon pose doesn't do what you think it's doing. And he was really snarky about it Hmm. because I think we think that it stretches out that the front leg hip, Mm -hmm. but really it, it doesn't, Hmm. it doesn't do what we think it's doing because the hip external rotator muscles are externally rotating the hip. So we're not really getting this great big stretch of them. But I don't really know. Honestly, I don't really know what it is doing then. I don't, I don't love the pose. Don't you don't love, love the pose. pose. Yeah. No, Interesting. no, but I got knee, you know, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got knee issues. And, yeah. Um, I just like really, as I'm getting a little bit older, um, have a lot of just general hip, lower back stiffness mm-hmm. and I don't do it every day. But if I, and it's funny, actually, I don't do it if I'm not warmed up either. It's something Mm -hmm. that I do when I've, you know, there's some blood circulating there. There's already, like I've already, um, you know, just literally warm in that area. And then it does feel kind of good if I don't. Pigeon or splits? Pigeon. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what? That makes sense. I mean, I don't, I don't love it as a resting pose. I always come onto my back whenever they cue it in class and I do like the like Gomugasana legs. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that feels really good because I can keep like engaged and I get this stretch on the lateral side of my hips, mm-hmm. which feels really, really good.
want to talk a little bit about, you know, taking what we're talking about here and then how do we apply what we know or what we don't know when we're reading about, you know, when we're consuming health and yoga information. Gosh, that's, and that's it's a really such... tough thing to talk about because it's huge. It really is. It's, it's huge. It's huge. And, you know, to give you an idea of, of how difficult it really is, you know, a lot, I got a lot of questions um, and comments from our last podcast. People really wanted to know how, you know, rolling um, down regulates the nervous system and all of that. And we agreed that we're going to do a separate podcast on that. But this morning I was trying, I was like searching furiously on information and, you know, all of the regular searches just didn't come up with anything. So I had to like really dig into my brain and get these not obvious kind of latent search terms and try to figure out if I could find anything. Cause there is some information out there, but it's really hard to find. Like you can't just type in, you know, Vegas nerve foam rolling and get any good information. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. And then, you know, I'm reading this article, which we'll talk about in the next podcast of teaser already heart rate changes in response to mechanical pressure stimulation of skeletal muscles are mediated by cardiac sympathetic nerve activity. Like that is a huge title and it hurt my brain Yeah, to realize, to, <laughs> to read not just all me. of this. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. You know, so one characteristic of somatocardiovascular reflexes is that evoked responses differ depending on the type of stimulation. Okay. Mm-hmm. For example, a strong pinch of the skin and noxious thermal stimulation generally induce tachycardiac, tachycardiac and pressure responses. So, Okay. That alone, you're a regular yoga, you know, connoisseur, and you see this, like, what is tachycardia? What is a presser response? Like, it's difficult to interpret all of those things. I think that we have to be really careful when we're reading things and look and see, like, where's the information coming from? Who's writing it? And what are their credentials? And Um, that's not to say that credentials are everything that, you know, now that I have a PhD, you know, I am an expert in all things. Like I am not an expert in just about anything. And just because someone has a DPT, so a doctor of physical therapy, that doesn't make them qualified to write on biomechanics. Mm. So when I was, when Jana and I were doing this work on jumping back to plank versus chaturanga. So I'm going to explain this by giving you these examples. One of the things that people had, that we had seen written by kind of a lay person anatomy enthusiast is that, oh, well, your body is a seesaw. And, you know, as you jump back to chaturanga, you know, it works as a seesaw, you have this pivot point. Okay, well, I can dismiss the fact that this person's credentials is that they were an anatomy enthusiast. But then I saw the same thing on a blog from a person who had a yoga teacher who has a doctorate of physical therapy. Hmm. And I'm like, well, okay, so the, the physical therapist was wrong, just like the armchair scientist was wrong. And that makes it really difficult because, you know, you go and you think that, you know, this doctor of physical therapy has these credentials to be speaking on this. And certainly they can be talking about injuries and rehab. Like that is their area of expertise. I should not be writing on, you know, injuries and rehab, unless I have actually studied it. But again, that doesn't mean that they're qualified to write about biomechanics. 
because that was clearly not, it's, it's clearly wrong with this whole bodies of seesaw thing. So I, I think it makes it really tough. And I think that everything, you know, you have to look at it just about anything that you read with a grain of salt, um, because there's this idea or not idea, but things can be right until we know that they're wrong. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So we thought the world was flat until we found the world is not flat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone had asked me about a paper that I cited in one of my talks that was from 1972. And I'm like, yeah, well, it still holds up because we don't have any more information. Now, if I cited a, a paper from 1972 that had then been refuted in 2000 and then refuted in 2017, that would be something different. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that we just have to number one, you have to look at who's writing it. What are their qualifications? What is the information that they're using to support what they're writing? And then go back to the source. So one of the things that I love about Jules Mitchell is that when she is writing blog posts or when she's teaching, she has so many references. Um, she has, she has a book coming out. Uh, so that's going to be super exciting too. Um, I can't wait to, to read it, but I appreciate that she supports what she's saying with published data. Now, that's not to say that everything that that's using published data is actually accurate because when I'm reading an article, I'll go back to the original source and see does that original source support what that person was saying? And unfortunately, a lot of times it doesn't. Hmm. So it you know, it's it's difficult. It's it's really a conundrum, Andrea. Yeah, it really and, is. And and I've been thinking about designing a course for research literacy because I've had so many people ask me. And I'm like, what do I actually include in that? Because you really almost have to go a little bit down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that's out there on Fascia, so today, you know, like I said as I was looking for my husband had said, oh, well, there's some evidence that Ruffini endings stimulate, you know, the vagus nerve, the slow, deep pressure. And I was looking for it and I found, um, I found an article and the reference, the original reference for that was an, was a book that's in German. So I couldn't find it. It wasn't ever published in English anywhere. And I think that people who, I think that we can hide, right. Our own biases by citing things that people don't have access to. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So they distort, so they can take something out of context, distort its meaning, and then still give you a citation, but I can't ever access it. It's never been published in English, and no one else has has looked at that. So I don't know if it's actually accurate or not. So I'm like, I can't, I can't go out. You know, I have a, a duty to uphold now, I think, as a PhD in that the things that come out of my mouth should be accurate and true as much as humanly possible. I'm not going to say this is for sure. I'm going to say this is what I think, but I don't know unless I have data to support that. So that's my promise to, that's my promise to myself and my promise to everybody else is that I'm not going to just go and make shit up. But there's a lot of stuff out there that's that's making shit up. And part of it is also the telephone game. So that's what I was going to say when you <sighs> said you look back at the original yep. source and really the person citing the original source, no matter what it's their perception, it's their interpretation mm-hmm. of that original yeah. theory, uh, you know, conclusion. Yeah, it's interesting. And people hear and people hear and read what they want. So, you know, this morning I posted that 
I, I posted on Instagram that bridge pose. And in the video, I clearly say, I'm squeezing my butt. I poke my butt. Rock solid glutes right now. Here's what's going on. In my post, I say, I'm squeezing my butt. Someone reposted it already. And they said, the glutes will engage, but not by squeezing them. The glutes will be lengthening towards the knees and widening. Hmm. I'm like, but that's not what I said. <laughs> so why are you reposting what I said when I like three times said, I'm squeezing my butt really hard. Right. I, right. I'm squeezing my butt. So, you know, it's this person obviously heard and read what they wanted to hear and they interpreted it in a certain way and then continued on. Like, you know, it's, it, it goes back to that jumping back to plank. And we had someone write in something about jamming the, the chromium process, which is the acromium process. But, you know, I can't fault the teacher because I don't know what the student, it's I don't know interpret. what the teacher actually said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I only know what the student is saying. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that, like, unless you really understand it, embody it, you know, you can't just take a weekend three hour workshop and go, okay, now I know everything there is to know about biomechanics. You know, it takes time to really understand, discern, feel it in your body, figure out how it works before you can go out and start teaching it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm really curious. This is a tough question, but I'm just curious how you feel about yoga and actually other embodiment practices too, being a combination of art and science. You know, um, I feel like before we had these tools to measure things, it was so much of an experiential art. And I mean, when I think about it, it's actually really amazing that people so long ago came up with some of these poses. Now we do, many of these poses are 20th century creations, but there are, you know, Lotus is not. You know, I think it's this movement towards this movement towards a further understanding. I mean, it is so experiential. I mean, and we talked about this before where there really is this art to it. And it's when we try to constrain, like when you normally do a certain, like if you are laying down on your back and you lift your hips up or you watch a kid, like their booty is working. It's just what the muscle does but it's all these constraints that we try to put around yoga now or movement practices where we try to say, do this, don't do that, um, move in this way. It's the constraints that we're putting around the practice that I think are, can almost be more harmful than just going out and moving and doing the practice, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, back in the day, you know, if you did something that didn't feel good, then you didn't do it. Right. You know, and now we're like, you know, <laughs> keep doing it. Keep, you know, no pain, no gain. And like I said, it's, it's, we're losing this. We're almost kind of losing this intuition into our own movement where we're trying to be good students. We have type A people doing yoga. I mean, me included, mm-hmm. um, where I'm like, I want to do it right. I want to do it right. How should I do it? And we have this need now to teacher, tell me how I should be doing this. And like when I teach ball rolling, I'm like, the good thing is, is that there's no right or wrong way to do it. Like, you know, make it hurt, make it feel good. If it hurts too much, back off. You know, if it feels good, great. And pain, you know, so we've just had this whole conversation and I just read this whole paper about pain sensation. And it's really how our brain interprets these sensory, the sensory information coming into the brain, because 
everything that we're doing, all the data that's being collected by all our sensory receptors is processed both locally, right, where we get these reflex responses, but also up to the brain. And it's our perception of these things that really is the is the main factor that you know decides how how we respond to something, right? And what and what our sensation is. So we have two people who are doing the same thing and the same level of pressure. So say we, you know, control the level of pressure that we're, you know, we're rolling on their thigh. Two people are going to have a completely different experience. And that's based on their perception of things, their past experience, the sensitization of the nervous system to certain incoming signals. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really good point. And I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like we should be giving less cues and more just, you know, getting people into shapes and, and being with their breath because we just don't have great, a great education, um, program to really be saying you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Like Mm -hmm. this is exactly where your hand should be. And it's, you know, we all arrive here with the same parts and they're just a little bit different, right? It's like, you know, Jason got checked all the time on one side. Well, you know, I'm super right leg dominant. And so, you know, I have a right sided hip pain because I like to do everything on the right side or, you know, whatever it is, whatever your special little idiosyncrasies are, that's going to play a big role into your movement repertoire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also, I used to think that I really had, I had really bad ankle dorsiflexion. So that's drawing the the toes towards the knee. And when I participated in my own study, I realized I didn't, I had really average, but I'm Mm -hmm. like, why can't I do a pistol squat? I'm like, that's because it's not just coming from my ankle. It's somewhere else. It's some sort of control. And I can do it on one side, but not on the other. And, you know, why do I have to do that? Is that a functional movement? Like, do I need to be able to do a pistol squat to do my laundry or to, you know? <laughs> I mean, I Definitely know. not. <laughs> yeah, so it's the whole, like, what are you going to do with this range of motion? Why do we want to do this? Like, why are we telling people what to do all the time? Hmm. Oh. This podcast is full of me rambling. No, 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 no. It's really interesting. I mean, I'm glad I asked you that question because I feel like because you're a scientist and you are studying all of these things, people might misinterpret like who you are and what you're trying to do. It's interesting to me that in part, what's driving you to do these things, to to go in the lab and do these measurements is actually to create more liberation for people than it is to constrain people. So it's to create the liberation of like, no, it's not going to hurt everyone to jump back to plank or no, Robin, you don't have to do a pistol squat because, you know, <laughs> X, Y, Z. So, I mean, do you think, do you feel like that's accurate? That I love that. You know, I never thought about it that way, Andrea. And I, I'm going to take that and run with it. Cause it really is like, you know, what I'm aiming to do, which is just kind of understand what are we doing? Not to demonize things, not mm-hmm. to say you should do this or do that, but to understand what it is that we're doing and why are we telling people to do it this way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. there are teachers out there that are really adamant that you got to do it one way or the other. And, you know, if we really knew what was a good movement and what was a bad movement, we wouldn't have, a, we wouldn't be dealing with this increase in non-contact ACL injuries. Hmm. So anterior cruciate ligament injuries. So the the ligament, one of the ligaments in your knees, they are on the rise, particularly in young kids and in middle-aged adults. Hmm. And 
you know, we, we think that, you know, these abnormal kinematics, so landing with your knee in a valgus, your knee rotating in will lead to this. But, you know, when we do these rehab programs and we change this, like we don't decrease ACL injuries. So, you know, we don't really know, you Hmm. know, the more I know, the more I realize that we don't know, which is why we keep looking at these things Mm -hmm. and why there's been, you know, papers every month come out on a lot of these things because we haven't really found the answer. And this goes back to what you were saying and what we were talking about in terms of perception, like what is our, our brain's perception of things? How do we interpret this information that we're getting from all of these different mechanoreceptors, all these different sensory receptors in our muscles, our skin, our fascia, our joints. So, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. I really wish that I did. And I keep looking and I probably will never stop searching. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited that I just accepted, um, I just accepted a job. I'm going to be the director of clinical research uh, for a chronic pain division for, yeah, for um, Abbott Laboratories, their neuromodulation division. So I'm going to be looking at spinal cord stimulators and dorsal root ganglion stimulators and how we can be, how we can use this technology to reduce and my goal to eliminate chronic pain. Awesome. So I'm going to be continuing on with all of this pain stuff and sensory nervous system stuff. And of course, I'll never stop researching yoga. And I have a lot to do in yoga before, you know. Yeah, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, it makes me you. so happy that you're out there doing that work. <laughs> I mean, chronic pain is a huge, 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 it's a huge yeah, problem. It's a huge problem. Oh, you know what? I think I may have said this before, but when we go back to the perception, I just glanced up and I had this little highlighted thing about nocebo about what we tell our, our students. I don't know if we mentioned it before, but you know, we were talking about how all what we're doing is we're constraining their, their movement. And by telling them, well, don't do this. You're going to hurt the, mm-hmm. the knee. Did I tell you, did we talk on the podcast about the story about the guy who wouldn't flex his spine? No, we talked about oh. it. You and I talked about it, but oh. I, you can share. We haven't shared it on the podcast oh, yet. Well, we have to share it on the podcast yes. because Let's it do. really goes into this perception. Okay. And this is a sports chiropractor and they used to call him last chance Steve when we were in Los Gatos because <laughs> people would do everything else and then come to Steve and you know, he would, he's like their last chance. So he had this, this guy, he was, I think he was 17. He was still in high school and he had hurt his back doing a deadlift. And he went to the doctor, just his primary care doctor. And the primary care doctor was showing him the spine and saying, well, you know, it's this extreme flexion, the spinal flexion under load, that that's what caused this. And, you know, it's injured your discs and, you know, scared this kid silly about doing spinal flexion. And so this poor kid would not flex his spine at all. If he drove anywhere, so his mom actually had to take a leave of absence for work because he wouldn't go to school. He wouldn't sit. He would lie flat everywhere. And if he was getting in the car to go somewhere, he'd have to go into the backseat and lie flat because even just sitting up would be, would institute some spinal flexion and he would freak out that this Mm. is going to like kill his back. 
So, you know, here is an example of this kid who's taken what the doctor has said too far. And we see this all the time in our yoga students, like, oh, I can't do this. I always have to do this because my yoga teacher said that this is going to hurt my back or hurt my hip. And so the mom was friends with one of uh, my husband's other patients. And so they brought him in and he started off by laying down and just doing this kind of gradual desensitization of this boy in his spine. So he had him lay down and then draw his knees towards his chest. He's like, okay, well, here you're doing spinal flexion. He would have him roll over to his side, use his hand to push himself up. And so he would do kind of this graded exposure. So we call it a a graded exposure to a threat, right? Mm -hmm. So if your threat is, you think that spinal flexion is going to kill you, then you want to do little itty bitty bits of it um, in a safe environment. So, you know, he did it all with my husband, like here, okay, now on your side, this is the same thing. And over the course of six months, this kid, cause you know, they found there was actually nothing physically wrong with his spine Wow. Um, and then getting him up. And now like he, you know, six months later, kid is back, you know, went back into high school, was deadlifting again and was moving again. Right. But it's this huge extreme response because of what this one physician said. Mm -hmm. So it just goes to show that our words really matter. And we have to be really careful about what we say. Mm -hmm. And, And, and I think that as yoga teachers, a lot of times we're not very sensitive to that because we have these strong biases of, you know, you should never go from warrior one to warrior two. You should never do this, you know, you know, pot of one, pot of two foot pattern, or, you know, you should never do like my favorite is people saying, you know, in Hanumanasana, the front hip should always be facing forward. Well, you know, you, most people just do not have that range of motion to do that. So mm-hmm. your the back hip is going to be somewhat externally rotated. And so I think we just have to be mindful about what we're saying, what we're teaching and not work in absolutes. That's yeah. I mean, it, it, it comes back to what Jason has talked about a bit, quite a bit. And I, I feel like you and I maybe even talked about it last time, which is like when you said you're a PhD and you said like, I'm not an expert in anything. That's not just you being <laughs> yeah. self-deprecating. That's you no. knowing what a vast world there is like within the human body. And, and you just have to be comfortable saying as a yoga teacher, that you don't know the answer to everything. And I think also as an addendum to that, you have to be willing to be creative in the way that you work with people. So because there's just such a vast array of body types and experience Mm -hmm. and previous life experience, you know, Mm -hmm. if someone's, if you're teaching someone something and, and and they respond that it's hurting them, you have to be willing to and able and skillful enough to say, well, try it this way. How does that feel? And if Mm -hmm. they still say it hurts, try it this way. How does that feel? If it still hurts, you can say, okay, I'm not sure what's going on. Do something else. You know, I I used to have teachers all the time try to fix my knees in bridge pose (laughs) and in in, uh, Urdhva Janirasana. And for a time, nothing would relieve the pain. And I, I felt like after they would do three things, if I said it still hurt, like they would be disappointed in me. Yeah. You know I mean, <gasps> I know it's like, 
I'm not, as a student, you're not there to make the teacher feel better. The teacher has to be <laughs> confident and comfortable <laughs> enough in themselves to say, I don't know everything. It's okay. I, know. I love that. Okay. So I was at a training. Oh my gosh, this has happened. You know, a couple of times I see this, like you're at a training and you know, the teacher is going to show how wonderful this is and, you know, how they're going to fix your knee pain. So they're like, who has knee pain? And they bring you up on stage or, you know, this was on stage of the training that I was at. It's a therapy training and a therapeutics training. And okay, you know, you have knee pain. Okay, well, so do this. And now is it fixed? I'm like, no, it's not. Okay, well, then try this. Okay, now how do you feel? I'm like, it still hurts, right? And then it was this look by the teacher like, and then finally, as a student, you almost feel like saying, yeah, okay, that feels better because yeah. you don't, you want to please like this just happened in shoulder stand where we have shoulder stand body and not shoulder stand body. You put me in blankets and I am in pain. I can do it on the floor. I feel great. Mm -hmm. As soon as you lift me up, I have neck pain. I have shoulder pain. I have all of this pain. And so, you know, we have to be really careful about that. So, you know, the teacher brings this person up and puts all these blankets. All right, here's this great propping. And do you still have pain? Yeah, I still have pain. Okay. Well, maybe you just need to get used to it. Maybe we need to try something else, but you know, we get frustrated as teachers when we can't fix something. And then like you're saying, like we give it like three things and then like, well, I don't want to spend the whole rest of the time doing this. So everybody else go and work on it and then we'll work together and figure that out. But yeah. we have to be careful when we do like you know, if you're going to do a demo, maybe don't do a demo with someone who has a real issue. Do it with someone that you know can do the posture who does not have pain, you know, and then if someone is having pain and you're able to fix it, then you can call others around and say, well, here are the things that I tried and right. you use that as a learning experience. Right. Instead of putting yourself on the spot because it, it hurts you and it also hurts the student because again, the student wants to please the teacher yeah. and, you know, like, for me, I was finally, I was like, okay, well, um, my teacher is just getting more and more frustrated with me. And I'm just going to say that this is fine. Right. right. You feel like there's something wrong with you. Exactly. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Maybe I'm not doing what they're telling me to do properly. And, you know, and no one wants to feel that way. Like the teacher doesn't want to feel like they can't help the student. The student doesn't want to feel like they're doing something wrong, which is why their student, the teacher's magic isn't working. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't know. I have one more question. I was just kind of like skimming my notes really quickly. Um, we're coming up on an hour, but you and I talked last time about people who are afraid to roll up their, like roll from, <gasps> let's say standing forward bend mm -hmm. to roll up one vertebrae at a, one vertebra at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I just would love oh to, God, <laughs> I just love to hear you, uh, <laughs> Just go I, with that. Oh God. I used to teach that. I used to teach like never roll up, mm -hmm. you know, and I have, like I said, I have learned so much. I mean, the one thing that I have, well, okay. Many things that I have learned, but never deal in absolutes. Never here. I'm dealing in an absolute. Um, <laughs> we should rarely deal in absolutes, right? So anytime a teacher says you should always do this or never do something, you should definitely question it. Um, okay. So rolling up and so Kelly Starrett is a, is a physical therapist. And so he does mobility wad. So he's big and like CrossFit and Jill's good friends with him. And he's got a lot of really great stuff. I really learned a lot from him. 
So one of the things that he teaches is screw your feet down into the ground. And so if you're listening, and in fact, Andrea, can you stand up? Are you, can you stand up right now? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're not driving in your car, stop where you are. I usually listen to your podcast while I'm driving in the car. So it's hard. So listen to it again. So stand with your feet, hip distance apart. And now isometrically, that is without moving it, try to screw your right foot into the ground to the right and your left to the left, but don't move your feet. Okay. So now what do you feel when you're doing this? You're screwing your feet down into the ground. What's happening up your legs? I was feeling like my shins were kind of like engaging. Um, So push. And then you're going to take your whole legs and try to rotate your whole legs out to the side. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me try that. Okay. Okay. Cause you should start to feel your butt engage. Yes. When I do my whole legs. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You feel your butt engage. Okay. Awesome. So now keeping all of this. So fold forward. Um, messing up your mojo with your microphone. Okay. Now push your feet down into the ground, screw them down into the ground. So you want, you know, you're keeping your knees straight. You should feel your legs fire all the way up. Okay. Now keep all of this and now roll up one vertebra at a time. And you're supported by your lower body. You're supported by your glutes and you're going to be activating your core and you're going to be activating the muscles all up the spine. Yeah. It felt totally fine to me. Yeah. So now fold forward and let go of all of this engagement. Keep your legs straight, but don't do that same activation and then roll up. And I feel that in my low back because I don't have the support of my glutes. Yeah. I I actually did too. And yeah, especially because, you know, I, as I, I've mentioned, like I have sort of an achy baseline me low too. back these days. Me yeah. too. I know, me too. Yeah. So then if you bend your knees and you bring your hands to your thighs and you do kind of like a cat cow here, right? That should feel okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, keeping your knees bent and then pushing down into your thighs and rolling up, that should be, that should be okay too. Does that feel okay? Yeah. I know I'm, I'm that yoga teacher. Oh, it didn't feel okay. No, it does feel, it actually <laughs> yeah. does feel okay. So you got to play with it a little bit. So there's actually an exercise called the Jefferson curl. That's a gymnastics exercise. And you stand like on a platform and you're holding weight in a forward fold. So in Uttanasana and the weights are off your block and you actually engage your legs and you roll up through your spine, holding the weight so that you're strengthening your spine through this range of motion. Because we have to flex forward. We have to do all of that, right? Like, you know, again, we shouldn't demonize a natural movement. That's how your spine is meant to move that way. But when we do all of this repetitive loading, we do all these repetitive forward folds in yoga. So, you know, I, we both didn't used to do Ashtanga. I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Me too. Lots of forward folds. And like after six months, I'm like, you've got to progress me to second series. I've got to do some back bends because all this forward fold is killing me. But it's a matter of like how we do it, how often we do it, and how mindfully we're moving through it and how we're training our body to move it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, I I do prefer by coming up with a flat back and then coming all the way up and engaging through my legs. But I also like rolling up from time to time, you know, when I'm doing things. So, you know, I don't think there's one good or one bad, but you have to experiment with different ways. And I think being engaged. Um, like, do, you know, screwing your legs down, like, especially for someone like you and me who have 
you know, we have this baseline tender low back, um, you know, being mindful of how we're, we're working with the posture, right. and how we're working with our injuries. So same thing for you overhead. Oh, one of the things that was super cool that will be coming out from our yoga atlas is in warrior three, when you have your arms overhead. So, uh, left leg down, right leg back arms extended or reaching out in front of you versus mm-hmm. hands at your heart. And then pushing your hands in together, we get greater core activation. So great, greater abdominal muscle activation when your hands in, are in front of your heart and you're pushing them together which is going to help support your low back where when you're folding, when you're doing warrior three with your arms out, you've, you've increased the moment arm. So you've, you've changed the torque parameters of what has to be produced where in the body and in the back. Hmm. And it's harder on people with low back pain. Oh, so, you know, it all it just all depends. There's just lots of, yeah, but roll up. Yeah, sure. Roll up that engage your legs. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. And feel it like try it out and see how you feel. Now, when you're going through, you know, a dynamic vinyasa practice, you know, maybe just keep your legs engaged when you come up. Like I always do this. And then you do the reverse swan dive up. I find that that's the best for my back because I know that I'm hinging from my hips Mm -hmm. instead of, and so I'm using the power of my hips. And so when I'm coming up, I'm using my powerful hip extensors, my glutes and my hamstrings to bring my body up instead of relying on the multipedi, so these tiny muscles in between the spine and my spinal muscles to bring me up. Mm -hmm. So when you're rolling up, you're using the spine muscles to bring you up. When you're reverse swan diving up, you're using your strong booty and hamstring. You're Mm. using your hip extensor muscles to bring you up. Yeah. I that's, probably should have led with that. You know, helpful. my brain is a little that's okay. <laughs> defense, defense day. I'm like, you know, four days past defense. I should measure the rest of my life is, you know, post-defense. Understandable. PD. Yeah. <laughs> post-defense. So just last thing you have mentioned the yoga atlas. And I feel like, I think you talked about it last time, but I'm just would love it if you could talk again about what you're trying to put together. Oh, it's such a work in progress. We did 63, like I said, 63 postures yesterday in the lab. So we're looking at the kinematics, the kinetics, so the joint angles and the joint forces, the ground reaction forces and the muscle activity. So we looked at um, 16 muscles, which is super awesome. So we looked at traps, lats, erectors, glutes, hamstrings, um, rectus femoris, so the muscles of the legs. And we're just trying to educate people, right? So we're trying to educate ourselves and we're trying to understand, well, when we do these different variations, so like I said, side angle with a hand down on the ground, with a hand on a block, with a hand hovering, like the Bikram version of triangle, which would be side angle with the like right foot forward hand hovering over the ground, left arm up into the sky. Yes. And just trying to create like a baseline body of knowledge because we don't know how these different cues affect the body. Like I was saying about the hamstrings in bridge pose. And so, you know, we're, we took pictures of everything. We're going to make some nice pictures and try to get it out there just to give people an idea so that they can make an informed decision. Cause again, we, we give all of these constraints. And so what I want to do is feed you the information so you can decide what works for your body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is like a labor of love for you, right? I mean, Oh yeah, it is. So you're, you're not, you don't, you don't have a published date necessarily. I don't have a book deal. Although I did have a publisher reach out to me, which reminds me, I need to um, get back in touch with her. So we'll see. Okay. 
we'll see what happens. So we'll keep you put, po- we'll keep you posted. Yeah. Keep me posted yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. And thank you so much, Robin. And I love that you volunteered yourself to do another episode. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take you up on it. <laughs> well, I appreciate I it. So like after my, you know, research and, and looking at things this morning, I was like, Oh my God, it's so fascinating. Like, but I need to learn a little bit more about it so that I can translate it to the lay audience so that I can make it make sense instead of throwing out these words that I, you know, if I can't explain it to you in ways that you can understand, then I don't understand it. So, right. Right. And I'm not there yet, but we're going to get there for All sure. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. I'm sorry for the rambling. It's, you know, it's but, all good. All good. Hey. People, I mean, people are walking away with a brand new mascara idea. <laughs> they so- are. <laughs> and they're not afraid to roll up and they're not afraid to squeeze their butt. We have lots of takeaways. That's this right. Episode. That's right. That's right. All right and um, maybe Estee Lauder will, you know, maybe someone will hear this and they'll send us a mascara. I mean, we can, a girl can dream. Right. I know. I know. Definitely. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can find show notes for this episode where I will post a link to the article about Hanumanasana that Robin mentions. Show notes can be found at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 98. And you can always leave me an iTunes review if you are enjoying the podcast. It makes a big difference for the podcast. Five-star reviews, please. Thank you. Until next week, everyone, enjoy your practice. Enjoy your practice.